Good morning, everybody. Um, today's reading is taken from Luke chapter 19, verses 11 to 27. Um, and it is on page 1053. The parable of the ten leaders. While they were listening to this, he went on to tell them a parable, because he was near Jerusalem, and the people thought that the kingdom of God was going to appear at once. He said, A man of noble birth went to a distant country to have himself appointed king, and then to return. So he called ten of his servants and gave them ten minas. Put this money to work, he said, until I come back. But his subjects hated him and sent a delegation after him to say, We don't want this man to be our king. He was made king, however, and returned home. Then he sent for the servants to whom he had given the money, in order to find out what they had gained with it. The first one came and said, Sir, your mina has earned ten more. Well done, my good servant, his master replied. Because you have been trustworthy in a very small matter, take charge of ten cities. The second came and said, Sir, your mina has earned five more. His master answered, you take charge of five cities. Then another servant came and said, Sir, here is your mina. I have kept it laid away in a piece of cloth. I was afraid of you because you were a hard man. You take out what you did not put in and reap what you did not sow. His master replied, I will judge you by your own words, you wicked servant. You knew, did you, that I had I am a hard man, taking out what I did not put in, and reap what I did not sow? Why then didn't you put my money on, on deposit, so that when I came back I could have collected it with interest? Then he said to those standing by, Take his meaner away from him, and give it to the one who has ten meaners. Sir, they said, he already has ten. He replied, I tell you that to everyone who has, more than will be given, but as for the one who has nothing, even what they have will be taken away. For those enemies of mine who did not want me to be king over them, bring them here and kill them in front of me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. It's good to be here again. Um, on Friday, Sandy and I uh, travelled down from North Yorkshire in beautiful sunshine. And uh, today reminds us of the last day we came to Cornerstone because it rained just as much as it is today. It was quite a phenomenal turn, change around. Um, what I want to do before I get into this word is particularly to say, when you speak to people, do you listen? Or do you speak at people and not take in what they say? Uh, and I'm saying this to me today because that's what I did when I walked in. I went up to the bar area and I said hello to the guy who was uh, serving. Uh, and I said, hi, my name is Mike. What's your name? And he told me. Ten seconds later, I couldn't remember his name, so I had to say again. I'm so sorry. What was your name? And he said, it's Andy. Since then, I've remembered it. Sometimes when we come to the Word of God, we sit and we think we're listening, but we're actually distracted by all the things that are on our hearts and minds. Some good, some bad, mostly to do with what we're going to eat later on, maybe. Um, 
So today, don't listen to me. Listen to what God's speaking to you. Because as I share this, he will speak to each one of us in a completely different way, but from the same verses. So let's look at this. Regarding listening, this passage begins by saying that Jesus was speaking to a crowd of people. In the NLT, it says the crowd listened to what Jesus said. And as we know from many parts of scripture, when Jesus spoke, people listened, but didn't always fully get or understand what he was trying to say to them. Even the disciples, the same, who spent so many days and nights and months and years in his company, listening to him and sometimes coming away thinking, I don't quite understand what you mean, particularly when he spoke of being killed, because that wasn't their plan. That's not what they expected. And obviously, whenever we listen to God's word, are we obeying his word or do we just listen and walk away? I'll come back to that in a minute. You know, there's a culture, I think, in church leaders these days, not all, obviously, some who would love to simply have numerically a massive church. Because in some regards, they tend to indicate, or it tends to indicate, that they're successful. I've had the privilege of being in ministry for many years, more of a missionary than a, a minister of a church, and I've been to lots of sort of prayer breakfasts in places like this. And I, I get so perturbed when leaders meet together and say, how's your church going? What numbers are attending now? As if that's the important part of it. Whereas what God wants us to do, and this is part of this word today, God wants us to be <clears throat> faithful followers of him who take his word and his love to a broken world. Better to have a small congregation, but with faithful people who are passionate with the gospel, than masses of people who come and miss the point altogether. But obviously we've got to take the word, the gospel, to millions of people, because still millions of people need to know. So as you listen, take to heart what God says. James 1 points it out when it says in the message, don't fool yourself into thinking that you're a listener when you're anything but. <clears throat> you let the word go into one ear and out the other. Act on what you hear. Don't just listen to it and then forget it. Don't walk away from the mirror and forget what you look like. How think some of us would find that hard to do anyway. The crowd were the normal everyday people. And each time Jesus spoke, they would have been from that area and gathered together. They would have heard of his reputation. Some may have actually followed him for more than one occasion when he spoke because they're excited to hear what the next thing is. And the disciples were amongst them. If you look at the um, the account in the Gospels of when Jesus was speaking to the people about the parable of the talents, it was just to the disciples. This time it was to the crowd and disciples. They expected Jesus to go into Jerusalem that day and declare himself as Messiah and the political saviour of Israel to overthrow the Roman Empire. They thought the kingdom of God was about to appear, or soon at least. But Jesus came to die. Jesus came to rise again, to take the sin of the world on the cross of Calvary and then to return ultimately to heaven. But then one day he will come again. And we need to be ready for that. But you know, the reality is the majority of the community outside of this building and possibly some within this building don't even know that Jesus has come for the first time. They have no conception of who Jesus is and the importance of the birth at Christmas as we celebrate and also the cross at Easter. 
For 10 years, I was a youth and children's minister and evangelist, and uh, I was never forgotten the fact that one of my colleagues spoke to a 14-year-old boy, not that many years ago now, <clears throat> and told him the basic story of Easter, that Jesus came, died on the cross, rose again. This young guy, 14 years old, said, I've never heard that story before. So when did this happen? Just a year or two ago? And he was genuinely honest in his comment. We can never assume that anybody, whatever their age, have ever heard this before. So this passage is about a king <clears throat> who gives ten of his servants a minor each, which actually a minor is the equivalent of six pounds or ten pounds of silver. Sorry, It's an approximately three months wages for that period of time. That sounds like quite a good wage to me for a three month period in that uh, period of history. But each servant received an equal amount. Each person was called a servant, not a slave. And of course, the difference between a servant and a slave is a servant voluntarily chooses to serve. Whereas a slave is somebody who's taken against his will, as happened so often these days, and forced to serve in a way that they wouldn't necessarily choose to. And of course, at one time, the Bible says we were slaves to sin, but if we're saved, if God has forgiven us of our sin and we are a follower of Jesus now, we are no longer slaves. There's that fabulous song, which I'm sure you're familiar with, no longer a slave, tells us. But the king's instructions in the parable to his servants were to invest what he's given them until I come back. And in the same way, Jesus instructs his church with the great commission to go. It was the final thing he said to his disciples on the mountain. And you'll find it in Matthew 28, 18 to 20, where Jesus said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples. Not think about it, but go. Make disciples of all nations. And go make disciples of all nations as opposed to get people to make a decision. Because that's not what it's about. A disciple is somebody who knows what God wants and lives by what God wants. And lives a life appropriate for that calling. And to baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I'll be with you always to the very end of the age. Because Sandy and I are passionate about mission. One of the things I've done for many years is meet missionaries, read missionary books. Oh, Sometimes the missionary books are in the dusty section in a second-hand bookshop. Go and get them out, read them. People like Hudson Taylor in the story, he said, but about the Great Commission, he said, the Great Commission is not an option to be considered. And not just for the, the few who really say, God, I'm going to abandon everything of the, the world and follow you. But he said, it's not an option to be considered. It's a command of Jesus for us to obey. This parable is about God giving us purpose and the resources to use in the kingdom of God. Not just in our church, but in the kingdom of God. Kingdom ministry is so important. It's not about protecting the resource he gave us and hiding it away like this guy did. He wrapped it up in a cloth and kept it. Nothing was done with it. But actually putting it into practice. Nothing is supposed to be hidden. Jesus said, you're the light of the world. Don't hide your light under a bushel or under a cover or anything like that. Take it out so that the light can affect the darkness, of which we know there's a lot in this world. We need to be conscientiously investing what God has given us 
with faith and wisdom. Investing those resources, those gifts and blessings God has placed upon us to be able to get alongside people and to share them, share with them the love of God. And please know this, no, one, no follower of Jesus is excluded at all. Whether you've been a follower for two months or two, 20 years or even longer. And no one is unqualified. When I went to Keswick Convention many years ago, there was, um, I was just thrilled by all the, the, the sermons that they were buying, all the cassettes. You can tell me how long ago it was now. Cassettes, what a great day. Remember when they used to unravel in your car? Oh, no. But anyway, um, I went into the missionary meeting simply because it was another meeting. I was such a, a young guy who knew nothing about God. I was just bought my first Bible at that time. Uh, I, I was a Christian. I knew God loved me, but I didn't know anything about serving God. And I thought that this meeting is in, it's going to be interesting because it's another sermon, but it's not for me because I am not clever enough that God would use me. I have nothing to offer God. I'm so grateful for those who brought me to faith, but I can't do that. I've never done that. At that time, I had very few friends. I was a very isolated person. Believe it or not, I didn't speak much to anybody. I never stopped now. But then, George Verber from OM stood up and dismantled every thought I had about what a, a person that could serve God would be. I thought people were just ministers with a collar that could go out and talk about Jesus. And he said that Jesus called fishermen, the uneducated but they were so passionate and so available, made themselves available to Jesus. Jesus enabled them to speak to others, particularly their family and others, about Jesus. And then to go and live a life that even in the face of death, they wouldn't step back from it. Now, I wonder if we were told that Jesus' second coming was going to be in six months or six weeks. I wonder if our attitude to our responsibility of serving him would be different. Sandy and I had a friend called Mark in our village, knock on our door once. Prior to that, his brother, who was a passionate Christian, had spoke to Mark endlessly about Jesus, and he said, I'm not interested, don't I know? And it was such a heart-sore situation. But Mark knocked on our door, and we said, wow, Mark, good to see you, come on in. And he looked really worried, and we said, what's the problem? He said, I've just been told I have six weeks to live. I've got pancreatic cancer. And I want you to tell me all you know about Jesus, because I need to know that. And we had the joy of sharing that with him, and seeing him go out and tell every single person he knew that he'd never, ever listened to anyone before, but now they needed to listen to him about Jesus. And he spent the last five uh, weeks of his life more living, more purposeful, and more thrilling than anything he'd ever know. You know, I've met so many Christians, sadly, this is a, a sad indictment upon uh, Christians and churches sometimes. I've met so many Christians who were just existing day to day rather than thriving and bouncing with joy. And I, I get that, I get that life is hard, you don't bounce with joy all the time. But the Bible does say sometimes you will, if you wait on the Lord, you'll rise up on wings of eagles, that you will run and not grow weary, and some days you'll walk and not faint, and that's understandable. I have weeks like that, I go from one to the other. But at least there's got to be a joy of knowing Jesus that we can share, an attitude of something has happened in me, giving hope. But sometimes they just exist. 
and I don't particularly like to be like that and there's been times in my life where it's been such a hard day or hard week or hard months I've kind of existed too but I've just rested in the presence of God but some folks have no joy and some are in a position where what began as faith has spiraled into hopelessness or they rarely speak of Jesus. Prayer makes them fall asleep. Bible study is a burden. And sadly, their friends will be surprised if they still go to church. Now, that's not a criticism. It's a concern. And I want to encourage those people that if it's you today or others that you know, that Jesus has called us to a mission, not to break us, but to rejoice in it and to see the world change. There is no greater adventure than talking about Jesus to a broken, lost person. The story goes, a landowner in Texas during the Great Depression, as you can probably aware of how that was in history, where people just lived in utter poverty. This man lived in utter poverty, just existing from day to day, barely having enough to eat. There was no... Um, he didn't have any crops in his land because of the, the terrible weather they had at the time. But then one day he found out through all that time of depression, just under his feet were oil-rich fields. Huge resources of oil worth millions. And he had no idea when he lived in that poverty. They've been there all the time. He just hadn't gone deep enough into the land to realise the wealth and resources at his disposal, and that's the case with us as well. Sometimes we're not talking about Jesus because we haven't dug deep enough into God's word to find out that incredible resource. Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, and your passion will be rekindled. You don't have to just exist as a Christian. Let me ask you, if you're on a flight to New York this coming week, <clears throat> And the pilot says, announced to everyone, there's no hope, we're about to crash, and no one will survive, it will be impossible. What would your reaction be? Would you scream like a, you know, like a little girl, or would you tell all those around them to put their trust in Jesus? You know, sometimes we need to be kind of shaken out of our restlessness, out of our distraction, to know there's a world out there that is dying and needs to know about this saviour we revel in. And it's not enough to have good intentions. Sympathy is not an answer. Action is with sympathy and compassion, as we know from Jesus. Big visions are not the answer, unless we put them in practice. Tremendous degrees in theology are not the answer, unless we apply that to theology. I love it now that so many of the Degrees in uh, Bible colleges are referred to as applied theology rather than knowledge for knowledge's sake. We must take a step of faith. And also to know that Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me. If ever you've seen us as members of CMA, we have a big white cross on our back. That's not to say, look at me, I'm a Christian. Because if our life doesn't go along with the cross on our back, everybody in the bike world will soon pull us up and say, you're not doing what you should do. Jesus said, follow me. Take your cross, which is to die to self and live for Christ. It's not so much the ability we have that counts, but how we are responsible with those resources and carry out the task God's given us. You know, the highest calling I've found, being a follower of Jesus since 1978, being amazed that God could have 
use me in any way whatsoever. The highest calling of God is to do for the Lord Jesus Christ what we can do with the resources he's given us to do and to do it with all our hearts. Let me close with a comment from William Booth. William Booth, as you know, started the Salvation Army, a great man of God. William Booth one day was, many years ago, was having a discussion with students of the Bible about hearing the call of God. But they said to him, we haven't heard the call. And yet they'd read and studied the Bible. And his response, and I believe he wouldn't have said it in a gentle way, but with a passionate way, was this. Not called, did you say? Not heard the call, I think you should say. Put your ear down to the Bible and hear God bid you to go and pull sinners out of the fire of sin. Put your ear down to the burdened, agonizing heart of humanity, Mike, and listen to the pitiful wail for help. Go stand by the gates of hell and hear the damned entreat you to go to their father's house and bid their brothers and sisters and servants and masters not to come here. Then look Christ in the face, whose mercy you have professed to obey, and tell him whether you will join heart and soul and body and circumstances in the march to publish his mercy to the world. Now it's quite old antiquated words. But that doesn't matter. The purpose of it is just the same. Christ has given us such important things to do. And we must get up and we must do it. Even if we feel afraid. Because everybody I've ever read about in the Bible has always said, who me? I can't do that. But God says, I can do it through you. With clay in the potter's hands to be used by him. Amen.